Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. My name is Terry Fletcher. So today I wanted to talk to you about something that's been kind of on my mind, and it's really about clinical documentation integrity. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I've been engulfed in both payer audits, private audits, you name the audit, I'm in there. And I'm seeing a trend that is kind of interesting that I wanted to bring to your attention because it's it's definitely going to cause some trouble if you are ever audited. And it's so important to have this integrity in your documentation because, for example, as an auditor, I find that there's so much outdated information and information that really doesn't make sense for a particular data of service encounter that then it brings the entire uh, medical record uh, into question and the reliability of that entire patient record. You know, have you updated language to fit the current times? I'm still seeing something that says we spent greater than 50% counseling on that patient. That's from the 95 and 97 guidelines for ENM. We're now in 2021 and 2023 rules. And there's so many red flags that when I look at this, I think, oh my gosh. When I see a provider list something that says, you know, I spent 41 minutes um, with the patient. Um, and also my uh, mid-level provider included time. And I'm thinking, what does that mean? You can't share a visit in the office. But the biggest one I think that kind of gets me right now is when I see the outdated COVID uh, reasoning for having the patient come in for telehealth. Remember, the public health emergency ended on May 11th of this year. So um, you're looking at five months ago and if the patient is truly there because they are a compromised chronic condition patient that's you know over 70 and your physician believes that it is safer for them to come in again based on their exposure to the flu covid whatever's out there then yes by all means put that in the the note that that's why you're providing a telehealth platform but if that's not the case then you have to take that out of there because I'm still seeing language that says that, plus they add the phrase during the public health emergency. So right there, it tells me that the rest of the record may not be accurate because they're using drop downs or fill-ins or cut and paste. And it's quite disturbing to see that we have this kind of compromise situation continually in our clinical documentation. Remember, a lot of the the prior authorizations that we have to do, we have to send documentation of medical necessity support to get things covered. And if the payer is seeing what I'm seeing, which is outdated information, information that doesn't make sense, and I know I pick on telehealth a lot, but when I see somebody say that they palpated a mass or that they they saw the patient um, stand up, and, and again, they're, they're not able to do that through a virtual means, and I even query the physician and say, did you actually see the patient stand up? They're like, no, it was virtual. I'm like, well, it says that in your exam. They're like, oh, that was just from last time. And what happens? I look at last time and sure enough, it was when they were in the office. And so you have to realize that that is going to compromise your entire record. 
And I think people forget that. I see things that basically at the end says, again, I always go back to that 41 minutes because that seems to be the the entry of the day to get a level five visit. But then I'll see at the very beginning in the history, it says face-to-face with the patient. And again, it says on FaceTime, which you cannot do because it is not considered HIPAA compliant. It'll say 15 minutes with the patient. But then you go down to the medical decision-making and it says total time 41 minutes, but you don't have any activities in there. And so, and, and again, if you look at that, so you spent 15 minutes with the patient, but now you're spending an additional, you know, over 30 dealing with, or over 25 dealing with things that are, you know, not face-to-face, what were they? And why was that much time needed when the patient wasn't around? And so where's the medical necessity? We see everything still has to be medically necessary to be able to submit it. But the, the compromised um, entries that I'm seeing in most of these these audits I'm doing is just it, it's it's really disturbing. It's really scary to me because I, I'm not seeing patient care as the center, and that's the reason we had the overhaul for the 2021 ENM services is that guidelines because they were trying to do patient over paperwork, you know, trying to give physicians some slack when it came to doing the review systems and, you know, these several bullet exams and these histories that had to include everything. They're trying to give you time with the patient to make it personal, to make it about problems addressed, about data points that were not only um, reviewed, but also analyzed for today's visit. And then tell us the risk, risk for this patient. And s- instead of giving me the risk that is a generic statement for every surgery you do, that's the same. I want to see a risk for this patient, you know, a risk of a, let's say, um, uh, a colon resection for a patient who's otherwise healthy and 45 years old versus a patient who has it, who's 75 years old and it has a history of, you know, cancer and other chronic conditions is going to be a different risk. And so I'm just not seeing it from a documentation perspective. I'm not seeing those updates, those, um, those, those exams that have to do with the patient today. It's more about what we can we drop down and just slide in there from the previous visit. And I see so many visits that are just mirrored of the previous visit, whether it be virtual or otherwise, and you just are really hurting yourself if nobody's policing this, watching this, monitoring this non-compliance. I was looking at some hospital records um, the other day, and they just said, can you just take a look at this urology group? I'm like, sure. So let's take a look. And they were billing straight across the board 99233s, which is the highest level uh, rounding visitor they call subsequent hospital inpatient and observation. It's really inpatient. And so I'm looking at this and it says patient doing well, doing better, nearing discharge. I'm like, why is this the highest level? And they said, well, because it was the first time I rounded on the patient. Well, that's not what that's for. Remember, the, the highest level is for a patient who's continued to have problems, a new condition. Um, you know, it's high level medical decision making. The 99232 is a patient who is doing better, responding to care, still under supervision, or I should say guidance or surveillance, and you're rounding. This is a typical rounding visit. 99221 or 231, sorry, is when they are basically nearing discharge date, doing better, and you can let you can sign off. And so when I see everyone always reaching for that highest level of service without updating their information or without having valid 
integrity and medical necessity in their record, it frustrates me because this is something we have been trying to train, teach, educate on for years and years and years, and it just doesn't seem to stick. It seems like everyone just wants the highest valued procedure. And it it's a problem. You know, it, it's a problem because it'll come back to hurt you when somebody says, well, how come you're billing all level threes in the hospital? Or how come you're billing all level fives in the office or level fours? when you aren't even following the rules and you're using outdated language, outdated drop-down screens. Um, I had a question today from one of my Coding Corner members that said, how long can we use the order in the chart for an x-ray? Patient came back two years later and we just want to get it done now. I'm like, are you kidding me? Two years later, did you do an ENM? Did you see the patient? Well, the doctor wants to get it done before they come in. I'm like, how do you know they still have that problem? So the rule of thumb for me is no more than 30 days because that's how long an HMP, let's say for the hospital, is good. Patients change. Conditions change. I saw a patient who was on Coumadin, so an anticoagulant, and they hadn't had a ProTime or an INR check for almost a year. A patient is on a blood thinner that needs constant monitoring. I was just like, okay, well, I'm glad the patient's still alive. And so things like that are, are very concerning. And the, the point of, of the topic today for this podcast is just to take a step back and regroup and talk to your providers and say, hey, you know, we need to look at the, the currentness, um, if that's even a word, of our clinical documentation, because we're not only trying to get prior authorizations and or if we are randomly selected for a TPE, target probe, educate audit, or you pick audit, heaven forbid, which is a fraud audit or anything where the, you know, the payer's watching. Look at all the money the government's spending. You don't think they're going to start trying to claw back money where they think they can when all we ever hear about is how much money they spent on these codes when it really wasn't medically necessary? It's not if you get an audit, it's when. And it starts with what you can prove, what you can support through documentation. And so I can't stress it enough. Update your record. Update your consents. Make sure that you have updated to the 2021 and 2023 guidelines. Please don't use language from 95 and 97 guidelines. That's just silly at this point. First of all, it's hurting you because if that's the guideline you are using, then you have to fulfill those guidelines. But AMA is saying those aren't even valid anymore and you're going to get some payers that are going to say the same thing. But if you're saying, well, that's what we're using, then they're going to expect you to fulfill them. So you can't even half use it, which, it, which is what I'm seeing a lot of practices doing. Okay, so our CodeCast podcast today is also brought to you by Decision Health Select Coder. Get all the decision-making information you need to code in a single online resource. Select Coder offers you the comprehensive coding guidance required to code accurate claims the first time. Try Select Coder for free. Sign up at decisionhealth.com forward slash SC free trial. Again, decisionhealth.com forward slash SC free trial. So my coding question today was from somebody who said, um, I want to bill a, a right heart cath. Should I be billing 93456? And I said, wow, I haven't heard that code in a long time. A right heart cath is 93451. And right heart caths really mean that there's pulmonary or lung involvement. And so they use a flow-directed catheter, which is a Swan-Gans catheter. That catheter is also used if they leave it in, not just for diagnostic purposes, but for therapeutic options, if they're going to leave it in, usually it's done bedside. 
And that code is 93503, which does not have a modifier. 93451 does. It has a 26 if you do it in the facility. But it because it's procedural, the 93503. But that being said, 93456 is a left heart cath that also has a right heart cath, but you did not go into the heart. So you only injected coronary arteries and you only injected um, and looked at the right heart. That's rare. I think I've used that code, oh my gosh, maybe twice in the last however long it's been out. I think it's been out for 13 years. And so a right and left heart cath is routinely 93460, again, 26 modifier. So this is where you want to always read the code and understand clinically what you're doing if you can. And if you can't, ask somebody or make sure that you purchase materials that allow you to understand it. There's nothing worse than submitting a code over and over again incorrectly and then down the line somebody will catch it, especially if it's outside the norm, and they will ask for refunds. I had a practice that was consistently billing um, a ruptured inguinal hernia. And they're like, well, they're, and I said, they're all ruptured. No, so you have some here that it's just a repair. And they just said, well, this is the only code I knew. I'm just like, oh my gosh. On those, and I'm air quoting, remember those cheat sheets? Well, who are you trying to cheat? Well, right there is a good example. We use reference tools, reference guides that have accurate information. Well, and speaking of updating our information, has anybody up, has anyone updated their reference tools for your clinical staff and your coding staff? So remember, things fall, things roll downhill. And if you're not on top of things and on, not on top of updating, and updating should be every quarter. Every quarter you should be updating. I just um, gave a webinar this last week on the Medicare third quarter updates. I have another one on uh, Tuesday. On, so today when you hear this um, with the NSCHBC, and it's amazing how CMS updates things every week now. You know, my materials were late because I had updates from October 6th then October 10th. And it was like, oh my gosh, that had changed from what they told us to do in June. And so those kinds of things, you can't keep your head in the sand. Ignorance is not bliss. So please, please, please update your information. Make sure your staff is updated and spot check. If you're an administrator, if you're a billing manager, if you're anyone that's in the management sector of um, revenue cycle management or in, um, you know, healthcare, it's up to you to make sure this is done. Your physician is being a physician. So from an administrative standpoint, a management standpoint, it's up to you to get this done. And if you don't have a direct manager that does this, then take initiative as a coder, as a biller, as a collector to make sure that you're updated. And if you see any leakage, any holes in, in the process or in the workflows, bring it to somebody's attention that can make changes. Um, because we see it a lot. We're seeing it in audits and, and chart reviews, and it's it's not pretty, and refunds are going to happen. So hopefully today, that's kind of my public service message that everyone gets, but um, that you're on top of that. So just a real quick um, personal tidbit. We weren't supposed to win our football game, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers uh, against the Ravens, but we did. Yay. And uh, what a good game. It was an ugly good game. I don't know if you know what that means if you're not a football fan, but um, it was is quite something. So we're now three and two. Yay. We have a bye this week. So there's no football. So um, I'm celebrating my birthday, which uh, was on Saturday. So that was uh, kind of a good week to kind of get out, see my friends. And uh, it'll it was it was a good weekend. 
So everyone, thank you for listening this week. Make it a great day. And again, thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma. Music producer Assassin Music.